The following podcast was recorded ahead of the current UK lockdown and increased coronavirus pressures. Due to the ever-changing challenges associated with the pandemic, we've already seen crowds in emergency departments and cases of corridor care. The messages in the podcast remain relevant, and it is important that senior executives listen to these reflections on the early stages of the pandemic. Take on board the learning and take a look at our patient first document linked in the episode notes. Hello, my name is Catherine Henderson, and I'm president of the Royal College of Emergency Medicine, and I'm pleased to be the guest host of this episode of the Care Quality Commission's podcast, CQC Connect. This podcast is part of a mini series looking at emergency care through the lens of a coronavirus. We're talking about what the challenges have been, sharing, learning and innovation and hearing from clinicians who've been at the front line. The Care Quality Commission has been engaged regularly with a group of senior clinical emergency department staff from hospitals around the country to understand the pressures they faced. And they have been sharing the steps taken to manage infection risk, adapt to social distancing rules and make sure that we're delivering the best possible care for patients. And so today we're talking about flow in emergency departments. Now, flow was a problem before the pandemic um, and is likely to be a significant problem going into winter on the basis of a second wave of coronavirus as well. So flow, meaning patients moving through the system, is vital to patient safety at the moment. I'm joined by two members of the CQC's National Emergency Medicine Specialist Advisors Forum, and I'm going to get them to introduce themselves. So let's start with Carol. Hello, my name's Carol Gavin. I'm a consultant in emergency medicine at Salford Royal. And John. Hi, I'm John Tipping. I'm a consultant in emergency medicine uh, in Yeovil District Hospital in Somerset. So let's just talk a little bit um, about what flow was like during the surge of COVID and how it impacted on how your department was functioning. Carol, do you want to just start with that? Yeah, we actually found that during the surge of COVID, our flow was much improved within the department. Um, We had fewer numbers of attendances, but also we had increased bed capacity. So patients who needed admitting were able to move very quickly to an inpatient bed. And I think that illustrated that what we need to get the flow right is the right estate. We need space, which we had because there were fewer patients. Um, We need bed capacity, which again we had. And we also had um, sort of rapid assessment of patients by other teams who may have had more capacity within themselves because they weren't doing so much elective work. So, John, what was the sort of light bulb moment that made the trust exec say, right, we're going to sort this out. We're going to lead from the top on this problem. So it was actually uh, happened in 2016 and it was the the trust board amongst themselves decided that they would not be happy to see their family or their relatives sitting in a corridor, in a bed, in ED, waiting to be admitted. And they felt that if it was not good enough for their family, then it shouldn't be good enough for our patients. And and at that time, they decided that they were going to do something trust-wide to make sure that patients didn't sit in our corridors. That's that's a great example of how you get trust trust engagement and make people understand the issues. So, Carol, what do you think are the barriers to getting patients seen by the right people? You know, why can't we manage to get people through the system in the way that we would hope? 
Well, I think one of the main barriers is the lack of alternative access for patients to um, receive appropriate care. So often the ED becomes the default pathway because they're not able to see um, who they need to see and get the care that they need um, via an alternative route. Um, so we found that by implementing some patient pathways with multi-specialty teams and our GP colleagues, that's been improved and hopefully we can reduce the numbers of patients who need to attend the ED who don't need our specialist skills of resuscitation and management of acute serious illness and injury. And John, do you have some examples? I mean, you gave some general flow techniques of, you know, watching flow. But have you got any examples of some good practice that have meant that particular patient groups can move through the system, either having to come through the ED or even not having to come through the ED? We managed to develop some very good streaming pathways, literally from the front door of ED. So a nurse would assess if they hit certain criteria, they were streamed directly to a specialty team. Um, and uh, we also managed to do that with quite a few of our uh, paediatric attendances. One way of making that a lot safer was uh, introduction of ED passport, so that even if patients had come through to ED and we'd actually initially assessed them, but we rapidly realised that they were safe to be admitted under a specialty team because there was no way they were going home, we developed this passport which just ensured that the minimum uh, safe things were performed before they left the ED, making sure they had prescriptions for all their trying critical medications, that their pain was managed, that they'd had a very recent set of ops, that they'd had an ECG and a chest x-ray, and that they'd had somebody more senior at least cast an eye over them to say, yes, they look safe to move, even though they haven't had a full thorough assessment in ED. That's very interesting because that fits with the concept of ready to progress or ready for ward which um, is obviously something that we're, we're looking at closely at the moment. Did that come about because you agreed, you know, as a team that that was the, the, the way to move a patient on safely? And did you have to get a lot of other people to agree? So it came about because previously we had a lot of our inpatient teams would actually do their clerkings in the ED because uh, that's how it's always been done here. And that now had to stop, obviously. Um, which made the teams very uncomfortable that they were having patients who hey, they hadn't assessed themselves. And so putting in the passport allowed us to demonstrate that they were being properly managed and stabilised and sorted before they moved, um, just giving them that confidence, therefore, to allow us to move them out of the ED without them having seen them. So it creates a sort of minimum data set of actions that have been taken before the patient goes off to the warders. And was it sort of signed off at executive level that that was the concept? It was agreed uh, sort of with clinical leads, clinical directors. Well, that's a very practical way of reassuring inpatient teams that a patient is ready to progress um, that's agreed clinically, which obviously is going to be something that's very, very important going into this winter that we don't have patients um, hanging about for a long time in the emergency department because of the risks that that involves. Um, Carol, have you got any other examples of pathways that have worked particularly well um, that you're aware of? Yes, one of the pathways that we implemented, which worked very well during COVID, was that we um, developed a mental health assessment unit with the uh, mental health liaison team, which was actually based outside the ED in, the, um, in another area of the hospital site. So that meant that patients who presented to the ED with mental health problems, but who didn't have any medical 
needs could be seen and assessed by mental health staff in a specialist assessment area. Um, this meant that not only did we reduce crowding in the ED, but it was a much more appropriate environment for those patients because they were monitored by mentally health trained nurses and support workers. Um, it was a much less fraught and um, busy environment, so patients um, were able to sort of be nursed in a much calmer area. And we found that their risk of absconding, which was a problem when these patients waited a long time in the ED, was reduced. Um, they were seen quicker and because it was a much nicer environment, they were less likely to abscond before being seen. So that worked very well during the surge. Unfortunately, um, that's now stopped. So it's something that we hope to be able to develop um, in future to address these issues of crowding in the long term, but also the quality of care for those patients as well, which I think was much improved by that pathway. I was just going to ask you, you know, was the funding um, continuing? Because of course, that's one of the, the issues is how do we maintain the flow things that happened during COVID um, when they were rather specially funded or involved moving staff from one location to another location, which some of these the the um, crisis assessment units in mental health saw as a problem that they were moving acute staff into a different environment. But it's definitely something that we need to evaluate and appreciate if it works. Try and encourage that to be a long term plan. It's not just about the infection control risk. It's also about actually it is a better um, patient experience. And I would say certainly from the, the you know the college point of view, promoting routes that don't come through the department at all is one of the challenges for organizations. But if you've got that buy-in to say, actually not everything needs to come through the department, that is a really good route. Now we may not always know what's on offer is one of our problems. We don't know what we don't know, but finding out what the alternative routes are um, can be very useful. Your renal team may well have you know, routes of access that the emergency department don't know about, but could actually direct patients to if they did know about from the front door at times. Um, the patient may have just turned up forgetting that they could have accessed care through that um, environment. So it's been pretty tough um, overall, I think, the last few months. Um, that's you know, been very clear that we need to try and hang on to things that are, have worked well. What would your advice be to help departments now facing what they're facing, getting busier, having COVID? What would your you know, top tips be to trying to make this work? Carol, let's stop with you. Well, I think, as John has said, it has to come from the top. So it has to be a trust-wide um, effort. So I would say engage, seek out your executive leads, the senior managers, try to, you know, get them on board in seeing what the improvements in care were during the COVID surge and how we can go forward and sort of develop those as we go on. Um, and work with your multi-specialty colleagues because I think there were benefits for everybody, for the teams um, outside the ED as well as the ED staff and most of all the patients for having these joint pathways where the agreement is based on best patient care and getting the patient to the right person as quickly as we can. John, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, same as Carol, um, in terms of it must come from the top of the organisation. But I think there's also uh, an opportunity, particularly with the, you know, the 111 first development, 
for us to engage much more closely with our colleagues in, in the specialties in the hospital uh, to develop these pathways. It's got to be done. It's a kind of national mandate. This is our opportunity to really seize this and uh, you know make the most of that opportunity so that we can minimise the amount of time patients spend in ED. Right, thank you. So I, mean, I think we, we're agreeing that there is something about the input side, which is trying to make sure that the right patients are coming through the department so that they get the benefit of what EM physicians have to offer in terms of management skills. And some of that is by getting patients into alternative access points. Some of it is supporting the 111 work. And I think um, you know, I, I, I would say with an Arkem hat on, you know, ambulance offloads is a priority. We've got to be able to offload our ambulances. And But I'm really worried that we will start seeing corridor care come back. What would your advice be to a clinical lead who's eyeing up their, you know, their, their tracking screen and can see that the next ambulance that arrives is not going to have a cubicle for that patient, and that could be an elderly, vulnerable patient, um, but they've got five or six patients who've been in the department for a long time waiting for a, board, waiting for a bed. How, how do you think that the, that clinical lead can grab the attention of their organisation to sort something out in the very, very, very short term? John, how, how do you manage that where you are? We already have a, you know, an expectation that we are escalating straight up the chain to an exec who's on call for the day. Um, and I think if we're really looking at that situation, they would be involved in that, in that process already. Um, they are just not going to tolerate not offloading an ambulance. That's, you know, it goes back to the old ethos of not having a patient in the corridor. They will not tolerate us not being able to offload somebody. It comes from the top. Yeah, we, we actually have had a flow manager since the end of COVID because when we saw patients coming back and potentially crowding coming back, um, the exec have now put a flow manager into the department who's based in the department. Any problems with escalating patients moving towards, she's on it straight away. Um, it removes the sort of onus on the emergency department staff to try and chase the beds and chase the other um, specialties. So that's really been vital in us maintaining clear corridors, which we've managed to do through through their help and their sort of leadership, really, to do that. Yeah, it's, it's really important that you have got clear escalation pathways yeah. written down, agreed and signed off and that everybody expects to be activated when you are struggling. And a visible presence of the senior managers in the department as well, so they can actually see on the ground what's happening, because often just looking at a tracking board or a screen in an office doesn't really convey um, the actual nature of the crowding and the issues that we're facing. So having them physically there, I think, is really important and has, has been a big sort of step change in how we've been able to achieve clear corridors. Playing devil's advocate, I think every emergency department would say that they've got an escalation policy, um, but they just don't feel that they work. So what what's different about where you work, John, that means that escalation actually happens? Because it's, it's about the culture, the culture of the organisation, which is driven from the top, which is that we will not uh, tolerate having patients in corridors and similarly won't tolerate patients being stuck in the back of an ambulance because we can't offload them. And so when we go through our escalation pathways and we involve the site managers 
and then the duty managers and finally the exec on call. Those people expect to be called and they are very happy to attend the department and the hospital and make things happen, even if it's three o'clock in the morning. Thank you. I think that's that's probably the single message of this um, podcast, um, that maintaining flow takes effort and it takes commitment and it absolutely requires buy-in from the organisation as a whole, but most particularly it requires buy-in from the trust executive to make sure that every step that needs to be taken is taken in a timely way. And in going into this winter, which I think we're all feeling somewhat nervous about, put it mildly, um, the thought of having increasing numbers, a second wave of COVID, flu, all the work that's having to be done to try and keep NHS services going, and the inevitable loss of capacity because of the requirements of social distancing is a worry, but we have to address this um, head on. Otherwise, we are just going to run ourselves into trouble. So thank you very much indeed um, for participating in this. Um, uh, it's been really interesting to hear what's going on and your reflections on what's going well. And very grateful to you for taking the time. And thank you all for listening. Mm -hmm.